This morning, we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, our liturgical New Year's Eve. What are your New Year's resolutions for the next year of the church? If you were to stop and reflect on your spiritual life, what would you like to see differently in this coming year? Before I start singing Auld Lang Syne and pulling party poppers, it's probably a good moment to pause and talk about the celebration of Christ the King, which is a relatively new liturgical feast. Christ the King was instituted through an encyclical in the 1920s by Pope Pius XII. The Roaring Twenties were a dynamic time. World War I was resolving, and in the US, soldiers were returning home, heroes, to good jobs. Radios were becoming more commonplace, and suddenly, people had access to a much wider world of news and story. Families were beginning to afford cars and were able to travel. And of course, the soldiers had seen more of the world than many generations, bringing back experiences of places that many folks had never heard of. Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, Max Weber, and Emil Durkheim were in their prime casting a vision for a modern world where people would be less religious. It is during this time that people worldwide are beginning to see religion as a choice. Andy Root, a professor at Luther Seminary in Minnesota, has written a series of books on the secular age. He describes four levels of secularization. Zero is the ancient world, when God made heaven and we reflect God. It is all-encompassing, and everything is either sacred or profane, with nothing in the middle. He refers to The Handmaid's Tale as an example of zero. One is a world that many of you will recognize. There develops a public and private experience of faith. What are you not supposed to talk about in public? Come on. Politics money religion? Still, there is an assumption that everyone believes and goes to church. It is both religious and social. We recognize who people are by where they go to church. In two, the world has begun to divide between religious and a-religious. It is the first time when mass culture is allowing a group to be not religious, and the group is growing. In the United States, this, happened, this is happening in the 40s and 50s, but much earlier in Europe. By the time we get to secular three, all belief is contested, all belief is fragile. Even the most faithful have doubts in secular three. It is characterized by a deep yearning for meaning and is framed by the natural world rather than the supernatural. So the mysticism of faith has really been stripped away to the point where people feel awkward about claiming experiences with God that can't be. In Europe, Secular Three really starts after World War I, though in the United States it's more like the 1960s. But Pius is in Rome, and he sees what is on the horizon. Meanwhile, around and in World War I, Hitler comes to power in 1914, Stalin in 1918, and Mussolini in 1922. In the 1920s, they are wielding power in a way that will become very deadly for the world. 
In the doctrine of fascism, Benito Mussolini writes, democracy is a kingless regime infested by many kings who are sometimes more exclusive, tyrannical, and destructive than one, even if he be a tyrant. The Pope himself is in a power struggle with the King of Italy over who rules Rome. There is strife and chaos, and Europeans are beginning to move away from God and the church. It's a small but growing group. Pius sees how nationalism and secularism is changing the world, so he issues an encyclical called Ubi Arcano Dei Concilio, which means, when in the inscrutable designs of God, subtitled, On the Peace of Christ in the Kingdom of Christ. He wrote, since the close of the Great War, individuals, the different classes of society, the nations of the earth, have not yet found true peace. The old rivalries between nations have not ceased to exert their influence. Conditions have become increasingly worse because the fears of people are being constantly played upon by the ever-present menace of new wars, likely to be more frightful and destructive than any which have preceded them. Whence it is that the nations of today live in a, in a state of armed peace, which is scarcely better than war itself, a condition which tends to exhaust national finances, to waste the flower of youth, to muddy and poison the very fountains, the fountainheads of life, physical, intellectual, religious, and moral. It is in this encyclical that he institutes Christ the King, which places the true and real authority in God and not in the power-hungry rulers of that time. Christ the King sounds so of this world, of the power-hungry abuse of monarchs and dictators and the rulers of our time. It makes my stomach turn a bit when I see icons of Jesus in a crown, because I have seen people with great power do truly horrendous things. And many of those contemporary evil leaders were the ones of Pius's time. But Pius snatches back the title of king for Jesus. Jesus never calls himself a king. When Pilate asks if Jesus is a king, is king of the Jews, he turns it back on Pilate. Do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Jesus concludes this conversation with, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The true king of the true kingdom comes not with guns and cannons, but with humbleness and love. Pius wrote, when once men recognize, both in private and in public life, that Christ is king, society will at last receive the great blessings of liber real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. Though Christ the king came about in the 1920s, I can't help but see some parallels in our time. Radio and travel became common, and it gave people greater access to the world. And in our time, social media and travel have given people even greater access to the world. 
Politicians back then and politicians now lean lazily on fear to man manipulate the populace to act a certain way. We grow mighty militaries and we lock our doors. It happened then and it happens now. Nationalism and secularism and politicians grabbing power in their own names or in the name of religion. This is the world that Pius XII talked to back then, and really it is the world we live in now. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. And so Christ the King remains still an important feast when we celebrate that despite our broken world, our true King is Jesus, humble, loving, perfect. And that's who we should admire and seek to emulate. True power exists not in crowns and militaries, but in the act of giving it away. It is our liturgical New Year's Eve. We live in a world where nationalists can seem to be the loudest voices in the room, and where secularism is in the air we breathe because churches have failed to live into the love of God, too, too often bowing to fear and greed. Next Sunday, we begin Advent, and as one year ends and another begins, let us be brave enough to shake off the politics-driven fear and live into the love of God. Let us model our lives on Jesus' example, not in the extravagance of earthly kings, but simply, honestly, lovingly, so that we together bring about the kingdom of heaven here on earth, accessible to everyone right now.